Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger, back for another year, but uh, like Texas, bigger and better. I'm Jared Sandler, Rangers broadcaster, and I'm so excited to go through this season and many more with my co-host, Hannah Wing. Hannah, welcome to the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's going to be such a great season with you, and I can't wait to talk Rangers baseball all year long. And this has been an exciting buildup to the season. We're having this conversation. It is April 15th. It's actually Jackie Robinson Day, which is always a, an exciting day, a really important day. Uh, but we've had spring training. We've gone through the season opener. We've gone through the home opener. Uh, and the team right now, two and four, but that's 4% of the season, not even. I think there's been a lot of really exciting elements building up to the season and already through six games. Yesterday during Clubhouse, I spoke with Nathaniel Lowe, and he said that this team is just a bunch of winners. He said they know there's a direction of the team, they're going places this year, and they're just a bunch of winners and have that mentality across the board. And we talked about this in spring training when we were hanging out, loitering in the Clubhouse, that it's just there's a different vibe, a lot more positive, a lot more exciting. And I think the players, last year you had a bunch of young guys who they were just trying to keep their head above water, trying to prove that they were major league players. This year, you've got guys who they're established. They know they're big league players. They're here to try and help grow this thing. And it just, there, there's a different sense of confidence and maybe a more relaxed feel, which leaves space for people to have fun, as opposed to that feeling every day where it's like, I got to perform, otherwise I might be out of here. You got a lot more guys who they don't, they don't have that sense of pressure. And that was the consensus that I was getting at spring training as well, just being around the players, asking them about this current roster and the feel of this team. and. Everyone just kept saying this team is so much fun. There's that communication. They're having a blast on the field every day. And they just had that camaraderie that's a really fun thing to be around now. All right, so here's the deal with, with the Straight Up Texas podcast. If you listened last year, first of all, we, we very much appreciate you coming back. If you're new, welcome. Uh, each episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the team and, and how the season's going. Uh, we'll also have a guest, or in the case of today, and, and probably several of our episodes, a couple of guests, and we are going to talk Rangers with them and, and get to know them. I've never heard of these two people that we have here for the first episode. I think one's name is Mac Hayes, <laughs> and the other is Eric Nadal. I thought it was Nadal. Okay, I thought it was not the tennis player? No, I don't think so. I think it's someone else. Okay, all right. Hold on, let me... Okay, let me yeah, Google is, it real fast. This is Matt, or you, this it looks like Matt and Eric... Oh, it's, it's Matt Hicks and Eric Nadell. I've heard of them. I, I, I think I've seen them at the ballpark yeah, a time or two. Yeah. No, we're really excited. We're going to chat with Matt Hicks, who is in his 10th year 
uh, is a, a member of the Rangers broadcast team, and he's joined by uh, Eric Nadell, who is in his 44th year, which is kind of crazy uh, because, well, neither of us are 44 years old. No, I think he has about twice the age in baseball that I am alive. <laughs> but I can't wait to hear about all their amazing stories and memories working for the team. Well, we're really excited to talk with them. We're going to get to know Eric and Matt. And, hey, it's the 50th anniversary season of Rangers baseball. Uh, we're going to uh, track back in history with both of them through their experiences. So uh, stick around. Eric Nadell and Matt Hicks will join us after this. Your taste buds just found a new alarm clock. Introducing Whataburger's all-new Spicy Honey Butter Chicken Biscuit. Available for a limited time at participating locations. All right, back here on the Strait of Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. Eric Nadell, Matt Hicks, joining Hannah and me. I'm Jared Sandler. Uh, this is really cool. I, I mean, I work with these guys, so I, I'm with them every day. But I still am excited to, to spend time with them here in this capacity. Uh, Eric has been a part of Rangers baseball pretty much since the team moved to Texas, 44 of the 50 years. And I don't think anyone who is a Rangers fan really remembers a time of Rangers baseball without Eric. I actually spoke to someone the other day who was surprised that Eric wasn't with the team in 1972 because in his mind, and this is a, a big Rangers fan, that Eric's just, that's all he's known. And, and Matt is, uh, he's been around now for a decade and has been a part of some really big moments uh, some some big uh, individual calls, which we might get to. Uh, but uh, for my money, and I, I will admit bias, but there is not a better duo in Major League Baseball than these two. As much as Matt gets on my nerves, I'm just kidding. Uh, I thought you said Mac earlier. I thought Matt, I said it was well, Mac. no, yeah. I, well, I was hoping. I think it was like wishful thinking. I think it was like, I don't want to talk to Matt. Hopefully this is some guy <laughs> named Mac. Uh, but I'm really excited. Eric Nadell and Matt Hicks, guys, thanks so much for being with us. Th thanks, Adam Sandler. <laughs> yeah. Lo loved you and Happy Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Well, thank you both for joining us. We're so excited to talk past, present, and future Rangers baseball with you. But let's talk about the present. What are your initial thoughts going into this season about this new roster that we have? Well, we got super excited when Marcus Simeon and, and Corey Seager were signed. Uh, obviously, it put a whole new look on the club. And then to go out and come up with John Gray and Cole Calhoun and Mitch Garver in the trade after the lockout, uh, it's a completely different look. You know, when you think of losing 102 games last year and now you've got a whole bunch of all-star players on your team, it's, it's just a completely different feeling. I think, you know, when you do baseball as long as we've done it, uh, and it's a 162-game season, and you've talked about the years that we've, you know, done the games, uh, you get a real sense when you come to the ballpark as to whether or not your team has a pretty decent chance or not. Uh, and I think that you probably get a little bit more fired up uh, in doing your job when you know that you have a legitimate chance to win. And I think that that's something that we have this year. You're obviously, you're not going to win every game. But when you come to the ballpark and you feel like there's a legitimate chance you're going to win this game, whereas in some recent years we came to the ballpark and we just knew it's just – okay, we just need to get through the day today because this is what's going to happen. Um, so I think that with the addition of all of those guys, that you know, one thing that we're even seeing early in the season is that they're making guys that have been on the club for the last year, two years, three years, they're making them better. And so um, I, I think that there's that, that sense of optimism now here around this 2022 club. We all do a lot of research 
in advance of the year. You know, one of the things that stood out to me was just in studying Corey Seager, how good he has been against righties and lefties and really how few holes he has. I'm curious for either of you guys, what's something that stood out in researching any of these new players or, or even a, a returning player? You kind of took a step back and was like, man, I've been watching this guy. I didn't realize that, you know, X, Y, and Z. But is there anything that stood out in, in some of your preparation? Well, with Marcus Simeon, and, you know, we've seen him grow as a player because it all happened in the American League. Just to go back and refresh myself that, you know, this guy was drafted by the White Sox, although we think of him with the A's. He was drafted by the White Sox, and he came to the big leagues as a third baseman and then got traded to Oakland where he started playing shortstop and was a terrible shortstop until Ron Washington was brought in specifically to help him, and all of a sudden the errors were cut way down. He started making plays he, he didn't make before, and it wasn't until all of that that he really blossomed as a hitter. And, you know, to actually see the progress that he made in every aspect of his game over the course of his time, first with the White Sox, then with Oakland, and then, of course, last year with Toronto when he truly became a superstar. That, that, was, um, that was really uh, inspiring for me to go through that and, and see he's almost kind of a self-made player. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously getting Seager and Simeon right before the lockout you know, that's such a huge move um, that one of the things, and I was actually able to talk about this during the broadcast a little bit last night, people are going to want them to hit the ground running, to be, you know, Ranger fans, we've got these superstars, so they need to be, and I'm like, well, I wonder what their history has been in terms of starting, and in fact, uh, for both of them, and it's relative because it's hard to find a bad month for Corey Seager, uh, and the same is true for Marcus Simeon. But both of these guys traditionally have started slower, again, on a relative basis, and have gotten better as the season has gone on. And then at the end of the year, in the final month of the season, both of these guys have great September numbers. So it was just interesting to me that there's a parallel there between those two guys, that they get better as the season goes on. And I also think, too, you know, specific to Marcus, he's married with three kids, and they, they've moved here. I just... I, you can't quantify that, but your whole life has basically been on the West Coast. Last year was split between Florida, Buffalo, and then a little bit in Toronto. You move now to DFW. There's, there's a lot on his plate, and I know that we want to think these guys can totally compartmentalize, but I mean, he's got three kids, six and under. I mean, that, that's not easy. I, I just think that's something that, that needs to be taken in consideration. I, I want to ask you that question, though, Hannah, because you get to know these guys through a totally different lens, uh, through your interactions and, and all your work and helping to create content. Is there something that stood out to you with any of these new guys, someone you met and you're like, hey, like, kind of cool, I didn't know this or uh, this really jumped out? I just think overall it's been really great being around the guys this year. I've been in, with the Rangers organization since 2018 and I feel like this is probably the most exciting year of them all, to be perfectly honest. Um, Obviously, having Corey Seager on the roster has been huge. I grew up in Southern California, so that was a really exciting move. Personally, for me, um, I loved the Dodgers throughout college. So that was really exciting when he came over here. But just being around all the guys in the clubhouse again, and they just seem like they're always so happy to be there, excited to play together, and just get out there for our fans every single night. And it's really tough, I, I, I think, you know, for, for fans to understand, like, the grind that these guys go through. And they think of them as athletes, but these are, these are interesting people. We're going to get to that a little bit, you know, as we think back on the roster players who uh, have really made an impact, not just on the field, but, but in, in all of our interactions. 
Uh, so that is a, a little surprise we have for people uh, for people coming up here uh, on the Strait of Texas. Oh, you're teasing us. We're teasing. <laughs> and, and by the way, that thing you mentioned about Marcus Simeon and his family, I had him on the warm-up show uh, when we were in Toronto, and that's one of the things that he brought up. You know, when I asked him why Texas, and so I think you know he and his wife did a little research and. They felt like that this was a good place to have their family. So, you know, we've seen that before, too. We saw it with Cole Hamels, you know, when he signed with the ball club. And, you know, he moved his family here, too. So, uh, yeah, these are guys that they don't just sign documents and contracts and I'm going to play some baseball and and make willy-nilly decisions. They put a lot of thought into these kinds of things. Hannah, what's up with these California people moving and living in Texas? I, mean, I know. What you, what We're the about? worst. Yeah. We are the worst. I know. I get that all the time, but it's fun, too. And it's something that I kind of joke around with in the clubhouse with some of our players, like Cole Calhoun, who played for the Angels, Garrett Richards. Just more Californians moving to Texas, and we love it here. It's awesome. I heard about a lot of people from California moving to Texas. I didn't. I guess I didn't realize it also applied to. Uh, I mean, Cole Hamels, San Diego, Marcus right. Simeon, Northern California. Colby Allard. Colby Allard, Hannah Wing, the the Southern California area. I mean. I really think I started a movement. I think. You, I mean, you were the. Well, Cole Hamels, I guess technically was the first. He started it. Yeah, but then I think that JD traded for Colby Allard because. It works so well when you moved here. Exactly. Same age, both from Orange <laughs> yeah, County. There you go. Mutual friends, lots in Sam common. Sam Darnold, yeah. Exactly. We'll probably work one USC coming in per episode. Oh, absolutely. Since, it has to happen. And I wore my USC socks today. Fight on. I can't see because this is audio only, but <laughs> just wanted to share. Uh, all right. Hey, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about, you know, Eric, you, you get asked a ton about the, the Neftali Feliz strikeout of A-Rod. I think one of the, the really cool calls that, I've been in the booth for was the Adrian Beltre 3,000 hit call that, that Matt had. But I think it's a really cool story because I think it, you know, the call itself is a great call that Matt nailed. I, I always think it's important, though, I want people to know about the interactions you guys had leading up because I think it speaks so well of you. Uh, and, you know, obviously you have a Hall of Fame resume and then some, but uh, I guess I'll, I just let you guys kind of Matt start with you I mean when you and I had talks when Eric wasn't in the booth and you know what 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 do we do you know this is this is Eric's this is Eric's broadcast and you know do I give this to him so I take us take us through that process of what it's like when you're approaching a milestone call that I mean since I've been here since you've been here how many Rangers players have gone to 3,000 hits you know just just that one this is not something that happens very often yeah, um, so it was, and my memory might be a little bit sketchy uh, leading up to uh, what happened uh, in that particular month, but as, as he was approaching it and getting really, really close, um, I had said to Eric, I said, hey, you know, if we get into a situation where Adrian's sitting on 2,999 and he comes up and it's in my inning, I said, are you okay with me just seeding the half inning to you so that you can make this call? And Eric's response was? Well, no. Um, <laughs> however it falls, it falls. I don't think of it as my broadcast. You know, it's a team broadcast. And, you know, it's really been that way ever since Mark Holtz and I started working together in 1982 when Nolan Ryan's 5,000 strikeout just happened to come up in the middle innings, which were my innings. You know, there was really no consideration to letting, letting Mark call it. And, you know, I love the fact that when I worked with Vince Catronio, he got to call Rafael Palmero's 500th home run. Um, I get to call most of the dramatic moments in the games. 
when I worked with Victor Rojas, he got to call Sammy Sosa's 600th home run, all of which is great. And I love the fact that Matt got to call Adrian Beltre's 3,000th hit. And all three of those guys did an amazing job with the calls. You know, to me, the broadcast is, is a team thing. It's, you know, it's not my broadcast. And I can say that the, the day before uh, Adrian got to 29.99 and had two at-bats where it was Eric's innings, and I'm sitting over there going, please get this. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, this, because the pressure and the buildup was yeah. – and it was the same for Adrian because, as you, I think you remember, Adrian, he wasn't, like, really scorching leading up to that 3,000th hit. But Eric had two chances. He didn't get it. And then so the next day, obviously, Beltre comes up. You know, he's going to come up in the first inning. Um, so he had an opportunity there, and, and Beltre didn't get the hit. And when Beltre didn't get a hit his first time up, I'm like, oh, boy, uh, he's going to get it in the third or the fourth inning. It's going to happen. It was the last game of the homestand, right? It was, or, a, it was, it was a Sunday, it was a afternoon. Sunday yeah. afternoon. So, yeah. we, you know, the whole hope was that he did it, it at home. Exactly. So it had to be that day. Right. right. So there, and his family was there. You know, everybody was there. And the place was packed. And, you know, the team wasn't necessarily playing really great ball at the time. But everybody, there was so much anticipation around this hit. And that particular day, my wife's favorite player, Estelle's favorite player, was Adrian Beltre. And so she wanted to be there for a part of it. And so she was actually in the booth with us. And when it didn't happen his first time up, and he was coming up in my inning, during that commercial break, she tore off a sheet of paper, and she wrote something on the sheet of paper, and she shoved it over to me. And what she wrote on that sheet of paper was, don't suck. <laughs> no pressure. And so I see that, and I'm like, oh, oh for sure he's getting this hit. So then I'm, I'm nervous because I want to have a good call for Adrian. And make your wife proud, too. Well, yeah, well, I just didn't want her to be angry. I mean, this is the main thing. But I wanted to have a good call for posterity for Adrian. But then, as the at-bat developed, he was facing Wade Miley. Um... Nomar Rosaro was on first base, and Miley goes, the first three pitches are not in the strike zone. And it's 3-0. and And I'm like, well, I, I felt a little pressure come off because I'm like, well, he's probably not going to get a pitch to hit. He'll, he probably won't swing in this situation at 3-0. and So I was able to relax. And then, of course, he gets the 3-0 pitch and Beltre's it you know, down into the corner. Now I've got to do the call. But I couldn't hear. The place got, when he made contact, the place got so loud. So I just started saying things. <laughs> and finally, when the crowd died down, you know, I start giving some context to the hit and whatnot, and then Eric jumps in. And so I never really got a chance to hear the call until we got to the postgame show. Um, but while I was making the call, I literally could not hear me. That's the loudest, I think, Globe Life Park was in, in my entire tenure over there. So, yeah. I know you guys just have so many amazing, countless memories. What are the memories that don't get talked about quite as often? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, the bad ones. You know. we, don't, we don't need to go there. We'll keep it positive. We'll keep it positive. I don't need to people, get People do ask me about the, about the two World Series. You know, getting there was the exciting part. Those were the great calls. Actually doing the World Series games, you know, 
in some cases, not so much. In 2010, though, one, one of the biggest thrills for me, though, was calling the three-run homer that Mitch Moreland hit in the 2010 World Series in the first World Series game played here ever, which the Rangers won 3-1 to one on a three-run homer by Mitch. And it was a really long at-bat. He was battling against a left-handed pitcher, lefty against lefty, and he finally got a pitch and, and hit a three-run homer. And, you know, I, I really liked the way I called the whole at-bat and the way the whole thing worked out. And as it turned out, it was the only game the Rangers won in the World Series that year. So if you're talking about kind of an under-the-radar memory, uh, that was a real great one for me. I, I'd go with that World Series home run by Mitch. Can I add one thing on that? So when Mitch came back here, I think when he was with Boston, we interviewed him for the pregame show. He revealed that – so he fouled a ball off earlier in that at-bat that went straight down – and right back up between the legs. And he was in a lot of pain in that area. And he said that to this day, he doesn't have the home run ball, but he has the ball that <laughs> got fouled off. And he, whenever he thinks of, whenever he sees it, he's in pain. And he said that, if I recall, the pitch he hit out, like he was still writhing in pain. And that the, the, the trip around the bases, he was like walking on clouds. But the minute he got back in the dugout, he was still in some pain. So it was kind of a, a bittersweet experience for him. Wow. Uh, a call that stands out for me um, would have been when I was one week into the job. When I got hired in the middle of the 2012 season. And I, my first two games were uh, at home against Oakland. Then we went to Chicago for a three-game series against the White Sox. Then we came home. For a homestand, and a part of that homestand, we played the Minnesota Twins. And I think it was the first game that I did. It was about seven or eight games in for me that we went into extra innings. And so, you know, listeners know that once we get to extra innings, I do the even-numbered innings, and Eric does the odd-numbered innings. So I got the 10th inning. And I might have some of the players uh, wrong here, but uh, in the bottom of the 10th, I believe Adrian Beltre was on base at first and Nelson Cruz was the batter. And Nelly hit a line drive into left field, and the Twins' left fielder was Josh Willingham. And Willingham, not known for his defense, uh, let the ball go through his legs and all the way to the wall. And, of course, you know, Adrian, basically the, the whole time that I was with the club, that Adrian was with the club, he's not really known for running. But... He's coming around third, and he's digging for home, and I knew there was going to be a really close play at the plate. And so it was. He was safe. I was on the call, and um, it, was, it was just one of those moments that it's like you, you know that you've got to be on it. I was on it. It sounded good. I kicked it to commercial break. We get into the break, and pardon me for getting emotional here, but Eric leans over and he says, that was a fantastic call. And for me, a weekend to what I was doing, um, it just it, it made me feel really welcome. And it was just sort of um, a moment where I felt like I belonged. And so... I don't think anybody remembers that particular game in the middle of the season and a walk-off win against the Twins, but for me it was a huge moment. And you had another one or two within the next week. The Rangers had this string of walk-off yeah. wins and yeah. a couple of them in extra innings. And it was obvious to us at this point, you know, Nolan had told us for years, I've got this announcer in Corpus Christi, he's really good. And 
when and if we have an opening again, maybe we can figure out how to get him here. As it turned out, it happened in the middle of the season. And within two weeks, it was obvious, you know, this guy is great. How has he been in Corpus Christi all that time? <laughs> you know, we're really lucky. We needed an announcer in the middle of the season, and we come up with this guy. He's major league all the way. Yeah, but thank you. That's, that's kind of you to say it. But I just, up that first week, I really felt like it was an audition and I didn't feel like I belonged. And it was after that call, it was like, okay, I can, I can sit here and I can, I can do this. At what point did you start to just dress like someone who is like 95 years old? Because surely <laughs> you didn't during that first week. Yeah, I did. I've okay. always, so dressed, never, I've always okay. dressed like right. this. He's fashion forward. He yeah. really my, is. My, my, my wife tells <laughs> me that forward. I need to get rid of a lot of the clothes that are in my closet from the 70s. So, well, I, he, She's not the only one who said that to I you. Know. I know that. I know. I have lots of clothes that are older than you, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, well, I turned 26 last week, if that gives you any I context. I remember <laughs> where I bought them. I've got, I've got shirts that I remember. I bought this in Minnesota. I can even remember what year sometimes I bought it in based on who the Ranger manager was or something else that was going on at the time that's, that's crazy. crazy matt hey thanks for sharing that though that's really we're, yeah in all seriousness that's yeah. uh that's really cool it's a it's it's a it's a it's a neat memory of my start here with the ball club so. how are we gonna get eric to cry <laughs> i know it's only our first episode that was really yeah, cool we got first by the way just to lighten it up i feel like we're at a deposition here <laughs> people don't see this but hannah and jared are sitting across the that's table true. from us we're over here we've got people recording this I feel like we need an attorney to finish the show. Yeah, where's our counsel? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to lawyer up. Well, before we head to commercial break, Eric, can you tell us more about your benefit concert that you're having this June? Yeah, this will be the 10th annual birthday benefit concert. It's for the Grant Halliburton Foundation, which provides uh, suicide prevention programs and mental health education programs for schools. Uh, Kaz Haley, who's from Paris, Texas, and has won a couple of national songwriting contests is going to be the, the headliner. And Daphne Willis, who was one of the co-creators of the event, uh, will be the opener. And the tickets are on sale at thekessler.org. It's at the fabulous Kessler Theater in Oak Cliff. Those who haven't been there need to go. It's an incredible venue with perfect acoustics, holds about 400. So again, it's June 2nd. The Rangers have a day game that day against Tampa Bay. It'll be that night. So grab your tickets at thekessler.org for June the 2nd. It's it's a really cool event. My wife, who's been multiple times, went last year, and now she's very involved in Grant Halliburton. She was so taken by the organization and the cause that now I never see her because not only of baseball, but now she's involved in the Grant Halliburton Foundation, and, and she'll be there, and it's uh, it's definitely worth going. The music's great, but the cause is, is outstanding. Yeah, the problem of teen suicide has gotten greater and greater with the pandemic and you know teens getting more isolated when they couldn't go to school in person. And it's put a lot of extra stress. And uh, this foundation just does incredible work. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a list. I love lists. Hannah loves lists. And Eric and Matt have prepared a list. So we'll do that after this. When tangy Southern-style sauce and slaw meet a bacon cheese Whataburger, you get the new Southern Bacon Double Burger. Two patties, bacon, cheese, pickles, onions, slaw on a five-inch bun available for a limited time in participating locations. All right, we are back with Eric Nadell and Matt Hicks, and we have some lists that you guys are going to share with us. We're so excited about this. You both have had some front row seats to some of the most beloved players in the history of the Texas Rangers organization. So, Eric, we'll start with you. Can you rank your top five Rangers player personalities? If you're talking just personality, not performance on the field, um, I will start with Charlie Huff. Now, keep in mind, when I started in 1979, 
I was the same age as most of the players. And we would hang out with a lot of the players, which you know I don't really do now. The players are young enough to be my grandkids, you know, for, for the most part. But Charlie was one of my contemporaries, and he's just one of the funniest guys who I've ever been around. He had a one-liner for everything. And you couldn't talk to him for five minutes without laughing at some point. He was also kind of a throwback to the time when baseball players uh, <clears throat> were not in the greatest of shape. <laughs> you know, he was in good enough shape to throw 150 pitches in a game. He was actually quite a good fielder, even though he threw that funny pitch that came in at 60 miles an hour floating around with that knuckleball. But in between innings, he'd sit in the dugout and smoke a cigarette. <laughs> And, you know, you would see him every night in the hotel bar, you know, having a few vodkas. And weird stuff would happen to him. You know, one, one time he broke his, the pinky on his pitching hand, shaking hands with an old friend in the hotel bar and missed opening day. You know, all sorts of goofy stuff happened with him. So I would put him at the top of the list, probably. Um, a lot of my favorite guys are from that era because I used to hang out with them. Um, I'm going with a tandem of the two relievers we had then at the end of the game, Jim Kern and Sparky Lyle. These guys were just hilarious. Things weren't quite as serious back then as they are now. Maybe it's because there wasn't as much money involved, but those guys were just goofy. I mean, Jim Kern one time on a team flight um, grabbed a book that Jim Reeves, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram writer, was reading and ate the last page of the book. <laughs> he ate the paper? He ate the paper. Oh, man. <laughs> And one day I was doing a TV interview with him after a game at Yankee Stadium, and I asked him a couple of questions, and when I went to ask him the third question, he was gone. And he <laughs> called himself the Great Emu, because he was big and had long arms, and he went flapping away and he said, the big emu's out of here, we're flying out of here. And meanwhile, I had like two minutes I was still supposed to fill, and he was gone. I don't know what I was supposed to do. Um, moving on to uh, the 90s, when the Rangers had those teams in the mid-90s that were really good, and we finally won in 1996. There were a lot of personalities on that team, you know, who I could mention. But I'll specifically mention uh, John Burkett, who was a, a pitcher we acquired down the stretch. We really needed another starting pitcher. And he joined the club, I think it was in early August. And he came to Toronto, and I remember he pitched the third day of a three-game series where he really needed a win. And I had been out on the field during batting practice, doing my prep and talking to the manager, and I came back into the clubhouse, because you needed to do that to get up to the press box. And Burkett was the only one in there, and the music was blasting, and he was playing R.E.M. before he played, <laughs> they were my favorite band, and he was playing R.E.M., and I walked into the clubhouse, and I said, oh man, I'm gonna like this guy. And as it turned out, he had a deep appreciation for baseball history. He loved talking about baseball history and posing questions, you know, who was better, this guy or this guy, and what would happen if Babe Ruth, you know, now had to face Roger Clemens, and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, I loved talking to him about stuff like do you, that. Do you remember the R.E.M. song? Um, I think it was Losing My Religion was the one that was on when I came through there. But he, it was all R.E.M. that day. And I tried to convince him as he was talking about retiring to, to go into broadcasting. I thought he'd be fantastic as an analyst, but he was a really good bowler. And he was more interested in bowling and playing with his kids. Another guy from that team, um, who's one of my all-time favorites, and it's great because he's back here now, is Dave Valley, who was the backup catcher to Pudge on that team. 
And Dave um, started a charity in the Dominican Republic called Esperanza International, where they gave microloans to women to start small businesses. It was one of the first of its kind. Now there's a lot of them um, internationally. But he had played in the Dominican Republic in winter ball, wanted to give back, started this amazing charity. And I actually went down there with him a couple of times and saw what they were doing. It's just, just phenomenal. And I always enjoyed talking to him about everything, not just baseball. And finally, I'll go with number five, another guy who's back here, Chris Young. Uh, Chris was so smart, so intelligent, so analytical, and such a sweet guy uh, that during the time that he was with us in the mid-80s, you know, I would talk to him any chance I got, and he's one of the only players who I've really stayed close to even after he retired. You know, given that he lived in Dallas, it was a lot easier than with some other guys, but we would get together in the off-season, you know, have lunch or have coffee and something like that. And now it's amazing. We get to see him almost every day now that he's back as the general manager. And you can't miss him. I mean, guy's <laughs> 6'10", you are going to see him. He's not going to hide. I think he's the only person in the entire organization that makes me look really short. That's hard to do. <laughs> I, know that, I know that feeling. And apologies to all the dozens of guys I left out. Um, they're, they're upset. I'm already getting tweets. They're very upset. I bet they're, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Matt? Well, when you asked me to, uh, to uh, make up this list, I decided to go back over all the rosters for the time that I've been here. And what really stood out was the fact that, what, in the history of Major League Baseball, there have only been like 22,000, 23,000 men that have actually played this game. And I think half of them have played for the Rangers <laughs> in the last <laughs> 10 years. I went through so many names. I'm like, who was this guy? I don't remember this guy. There were so many guys that have played for this team in the last decade that have played for so many other teams, but that are just, it's, it's too numerous to mention. But when I, for me, there were, there were two guys that came to mind right away. And then I started thinking about it a little bit more. So I came up with a list of five. And I'm going to go in reverse order. Um, so the two to guys. To build the suspense. Yeah, I was going to say, the very suspense. suspenseful, yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, and I had probably about 10 guys overall, and I, so I had to really trim it down to get to my number five guy. And my number five guy was catcher uh, Chris Jimenez, who you talk about people that, you know, could be good announcers. It, 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 as soon as we got this guy and we started talking to him, number one, just a terrific conversationalist. And after knowing him for a little bit, we're like, this guy's going to work in the industry doing some broadcasting. And, and he is. He's, he is doing uh, some broadcasting. But a guy that could, he didn't just talk baseball, he could talk about anything and was eager to talk about it. You know, so many times you go into the clubhouse and there are guys that are trying to avoid the media and they don't really want to open up at all. And it seemed like Chris sought us out and we would uh, just always had great conversations with him. And, you know, even in those moments when you don't normally talk to a player, if, if you bump into them away from the ballpark or whatnot, Chris always had, you know, a kind word and a smile and would want to engage you in conversation. And one of the things that touched me about him was the time he told me the story about why he wore number 38. And it was a very touching story. I hope I don't get emotional again. But uh, the reason that he uh, wore number 38 with us, um, he had a nephew who passed away at the age of 12 or 13 months uh, and died of, I think it was sudden infant syndrome. And so 38 was his nephew's birthday. If you took the, the month, the day, and the year and added it up and it was 38. And so that was the kind of guy that Chris was. He could be that revealing 
you know, when I asked him the question, it was an innocent question, why 38? And then you get that kind of response. It kind of gives you the, the depth of character of a guy like him. So, so um, I'll start my list with him. Next would be Jose Trevino, who we just lost in a trade to the New York Yankees. Um, I personally uh, have known Jose since he was in high school because when he was in high school at John Paul II in Corpus Christi, I was the broadcaster for the Corpus Christi Hooks, and, and we used to do an annual banquet where one of the things that we did during the banquet was recognize the local high school all-stars, and clearly Jose was one of those guys. And getting to know him just a little bit in high school, you're like, wow, this kid's got the whole package. And Kids that have the whole package, you like, you root for, but you're like, oh, those those nice guy kids, they they never make it, and then Jose made it, and I and so I would never ever discount him accomplishing whatever it is that he wants to accomplish in life. You talk about some of these players that get involved in charities. Jose's been doing this right from the get go. So many people in South Texas uh, love this guy. And he's another one of those guys that will engage you in conversation all of the time, happy to talk about anything. Um, so, so Jose's on the list and just one of the true good guys that's uh, been here the last 10 years. Derek Holland is also on my list. When you think about characters that have played for the Rangers, to me Derek is right up there near the top. Another guy who would engage you in any sort of conversation and also kept you on your toes because you never knew when you sat down to interview him what direction he was going to go in, so you had to be ready to go down whatever road Derek wanted to go down at the time. But Derek is one of those guys that really gets what the media's job is, and so he was always very accommodating. He was accommodating to the point at which I wanted to see a Stars game one time, and he told me, hey, why don't you take my tickets? I'm not going to be using my tickets for that particular game. So he's just, a, to me, he's a very giving individual. My top two, though, would have to be Joey Gallo and Elvis Andrews. And Joey, I'll just tell one quick story about Joey. Um, one of the funniest guys that I've known with the Rangers uh, since I've been here. Um, in our pre-COVID days during spring training, uh, we always had an event for some of the big sponsors uh, of Rangers baseball um, at a location in North Scottsdale. And at this one particular event, I was asked to MC a panel with Joey, Nomar Mazar, and I think Robinson Chirinos was the third guy. So we get into it, and we get maybe about 10 minutes into it, and I realize that Joey is light on his feet and just bubbling to say just about anything. And mainly, it's, he didn't want to talk baseball. He just wanted to talk. So I kind of felt that. And so at one point, I asked Joey the question. I said, Joey, you know, I know that um, you're really in tune with everybody on the team, and you know who's funny and who isn't. I said, if you had to pick a, a threesome of Texas Rangers funny guys to go out on the road with and, and do a comedy tour, who are you picking? Best question I've ever asked in any panel, because basically for the next 15 minutes, Joey did stand-up. <laughs> and he roasted almost all of the guys that were there that night, the players, and the place was howling. I had people come up to me afterwards. They were crying, they were laughing so hard. So it's the most fun they've ever had at any Ranger event. And I'm just glad that I felt that coming from Joey because I let him go and he was phenomenal. But Joey's another one of those guys that, you know, anytime we wanted to talk with him, and last year, you know, when he was traded to New York and the Ranger media descended upon him, 
He talked with everybody. He got emotional about it because, you know, he still has strong ties to this organization. And then the final guy, Elvis Andrews, I, I can't think of a more bubbly, outgoing, just person who thrives off of interaction with people from him being the DJ on the team plane, knowing that Elvis Andrews listens to every kind of music. You name the music, Elvis has it on his phone. Um, his willingness to talk with the media, to talk with us, to, to reach out to, I'll tell you one Elvis story. I was at an event over at uh, the Frisco ballpark and Elvis and I got paired together signing autographs. So as you can imagine, uh, nobody wanted my autograph and everybody <laughs> wanted Elvis's autograph. But Elvis and his interaction with kids is something special. His ability to, to connect with kids, and I think a part of that is, is Elvis is just a big kid himself. But his ability to connect with kids was special. His ability also, and I could say this about Joey, I went on hospital visits with both of those guys. And their ability to connect with kids who are ill, recovering from surgery, going through just a terrible life moment uh, was something special to watch. And so Elvis is a unique human, just not uh, a unique uh, baseball player, but certainly uh, one of my all-time favorites. That was super fun. Thank you both so much for putting the list together and all the research Thanks. that you both Great have done. Question. You're welcome. Before we have you guys go, we do have some fan submissions. So fans, for all of you listening to the Straight Up Texas podcast, feel free to submit your questions through my social media channels and Jared's. But let's kick it off on Instagram with at LucaSW1719 for both of you. What are you looking forward to the most this season? Well, I'm looking forward to meaningful games in September. And that's uh, when I worked with Mark Holtz back in the 80s and the Rangers had primarily losing seasons. Uh, Holtz, he always used to say, we don't have to win. We don't have to win the World Series. I just want to do meaningful games in September. And that has stuck with me since then. Our job is a lot harder the last couple of months of the season if the games aren't meaningful in the standings. It's still Major League Baseball. It's still fun. It's not the same as being in a pennant race. So that's, that's the thing I'm looking forward to the most, having the Rangers at least be in contention for a playoff spot all the way. Well, I'll echo that because that's something I think that we all look forward to. But I'll also say I saw a, a, a tweet thread the other day from someone who's a huge baseball fan talking about what baseball needs to get to. And for me, uh, I agree with this. Um, baseball needs to get to a point where it's not about winning the World Series, and that's the only thing. It's not about winning 100 games or winning 95 games. What it's about is about enjoying the journey and enjoying the ride. And yesterday we got to experience that. Jonah Heim hit his first ever Grand Slam. As far as he could remember, his first as a professional. Uh, Jared found this little nugget out. He was the first guy to hit a home run off of Shohei Otani's splitter. And so these are moments that I think that happened during the course of this. This was the sixth game of the season, and I'm sure we'll remember the Grand Slam later in the year, but will people remember the uniqueness of Haim hitting that home run off of Otani, the first slam that Otani had uh, ever surrendered in the United States? Um, I look forward to enjoying the moments as the season goes on, even if we don't make the postseason. There are moments that stick out, and that's what keeps bringing people to the ballpark. Let's, let's enjoy the here and now. Not, let's not go, 
well, maybe the Rangers will be a World Series contender in 2024. You know what? Today, we're not going to deal with that. We're going to deal with something maybe that special that happens today that when you're in the ballpark, you can say, I saw that, and that's the only time it happened. All right, we're going to go with one more. I know Eric's got to go talk to the manager, and Matt has uh, got to go change his clothes. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'm actually going to go off of Hannah's list because I actually think this is the, the next best question from the Brady Sap on Instagram. How does Major League Baseball increase interest with the younger generation? And, and Matt, maybe what you said kind of goes down that road, but you guys have both consumed baseball at various levels for a long, long time. How does this sport do a better job of reconnecting with the youngsters? Well, the first thing I think they have to do is speed the game up. Um, it's not so much that the games are averaging three hours and ten minutes. It's all of the dead time. It's far too much time between pitches, far too much time between balls put in play. You know, that needs to be addressed with a pitch clock. Um, balls put in play will probably be addressed in part, you know, with banning the shift. Um, I think that uh, that's the probably the single most important thing. And Major League Baseball has to do a much better job of marketing its stars. You know, the fact that Mike Trout could walk down almost any street in America and not get recognized needs to be rectified. You know, the NBA and the NFL, however they do it, do a much better job of marketing their superstars. And, and Major League Baseball needs to do a better job of that to connect with the younger generation. I'm going to agree with both of those points, and it, re it reminds me of my first year with the ball club when after a game I went to a local restaurant to have dinner, and there were, it was packed with Ranger fans wearing Ranger gear. And as I'm sitting down waiting for my food to arrive, Elvis Andrews walks in wearing street clothes, and he's standing waiting for a pickup order, and he's standing next to two people wearing Elvis Andrews jerseys, and neither one of them knew <laughs> they were standing next to Elvis Andrews. It's like, that shouldn't happen. Elvis, when he walks into some place here in Arlington, should be immediately recognized. So I'll, I'll echo that. Um, and the other thing is, you know, I look to my own son, um, who is not a huge baseball fan, uh, even though he's grown up around the game and he's been in baseball stadiums his entire life. But uh, the way that he connected with the game was through uh, the video game, uh, MLB The Show. And once he started playing that and started having a lot of fun, he was able to talk to me about certain players in the league and ask questions and whatnot. And so obviously that's out there, but however baseball can maybe bring those together, the, the fantasy of MLB, the show, and what's going on, and merge that somehow with the reality of making the, the stars of the game more visible, you know, translating to the younger generation that this really is fun, that you have a lot of fun when you're at the ballpark, that you have a lot of fun when you're playing this sport. That's another thing. Baseball really needs to do something to emphasize kids having fun playing baseball. And that doesn't necessarily mean organized ball with the parents helicoptering over them, and you know what I'm talking about, but just kids having fun playing the game. I mean, when we grew up, I, there was a field behind my house and local kids in the neighborhood, we got bats and balls, and. We figured out whoever was there, and we figured out a game based upon whoever was there. Just having fun with the game in whatever platform that is, I think is something that uh, baseball needs to strive for. We're going to wrap this up with the hardest-hitting question of the episode. Since this is the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger, what are your go-to Whataburger orders? Ooh. Well, 
Nolan Ryan, who was a <laughs> spokesman for Whataburger back in the time he was playing for us, taught me that if you ask them at Whataburger, they will grill the jalapenos with the burger. And so I go with the double-double grilled jalapenos grilled with the burgers. Wow, there's a little... Uh, little inside secret. Yeah, yeah. Do, nice. Do you know it to be true, the story that uh, on his uh, wedding night that he took Ruth to Whataburger? <laughs> is that true? I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually true. Um, for me, it would be the uh, breakfast on a bun uh, with sausage. That's, uh, that's my Whataburger go-to and, and uh, ketchup. Well, now I'm Whataburger hungry. has the best ketchup, so... They really do, spicy and fancy. Yeah. yeah. And there's also never a bad time for breakfast. Yeah. I just, I'm, well, I'm a big too. proponent of that. Yes. Absolutely. If we ever wanted to do breakfast for dinner here at the ballpark, that'd be great. Okay. Guys, thanks so much. Thanks Appreciate for having it. us. Yep. Thank you. You're welcome. Hall of Famer Eric Nadell, Matt Hicks, here on the first episode of the Straight of Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. Hannah? That was so fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that. That was awesome. Thank you guys so much for being so open. Can we Matt, host the sorry, next we one? made you cry. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Are, you gonna, are we going to flip the script? <laughs> Yeah. You can ask you us the tough question. Us to next time. All right, we can do that. I'm going to go get some food because I'm now hungry. So I'm not going to Whataburger now. Whataburger that sounds nearby. amazing. We're going to have to do that. But thanks to everyone for tuning in. Uh, we will be back in two weeks with the next episode of the Straight Up Texas podcast. For Hannah, I'm Jared. So long.